Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Scary movie love for scary movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are covering the brand new Tales from the Hood 3, which means, of course, I am joined by the Tales from the Hood guy, Adam Risky. What's up? It's more like Tales from somewhere, not necessarily the Hood. <laughs> Just some tales. Yep. The original title. Um, thank you guys. They for... should have. Oh, sorry. No, they go should ahead. have a tail at a Sonic restaurant because then it could be Sonic and Tails. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sonic the Hedgehog character. Oh, got it. Okay, that's yeah. why I don't get that joke. Did you not see Sonic the Hedgehog 2020? I did not, and I didn't have a. What was that on Turbo Graphics? Sega. It was on Sega. What what was on Turbo Graphics? Bonk's Adventure. Bonk's Adventure. <laughs> and Splatterhouse, right? Wasn't that on Turbo Graphics? Yeah, wasn't like that the controversial one. Yeah. Well, I used to love yeah. playing Splatterhouse at the arcade because it scratched my horror movie itch. But I never oh, okay. had it. I never had the home version. I had that with House of the Devil arcade. That was a big, <laughs> a big go to when I went to the movie theater. Yeah. And Bonk's Adventure. And, of course, Bonk's Adventure. Uh, that one, I would just bring my I would bring my console to the theater, and I would just be like, can I plug this in somewhere? <laughs> they were always so gracious to let you, too. Yeah, it was really nice. I guess we'll unplug the popcorn machine. <laughs> They're like, isn't your show a striking distance, Don <laughs> And I'm like, two more bonks. Aren't you here for SJP? I don't know if we can delay the show with the media man anymore. <laughs> uh, the scary movie challenge continues. Thank you everybody for participating. And we've been having uh, averaging like a hundred or so reviews a day, which is great. Uh, we, uh, if you are not familiar with the scary movie challenge, every time you watch a scary movie during the month of October, go to fthismovie.com and find the post for that day and leave a seven word review. We're going to read some of our favorites on the show right now. Adam, you can go first. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, uh, of arachnophobia, the spiders give the Merlot real legs. Nice. My first one is a Lindsay also demon wind, another Kung Fu magician taken too early. I have that one too. You're you're on a roll, Lindsay. Yeah. Ross for Marrowbone. I found Marrowbone to be slightly whelming under. I have a Ross for Dog Soldiers. Liam, you're the Wolfman. Love you, Davos. <laughs> That's for Mike. Uh, Ronan C for the Thing, 1982. Definitely a better name than the Whatchamacallit. Louis Viljean for My Bloody Valentine. Remake now recognized as a minor masterpiece. That one's all about the spelling, but uh, it's M-I-N-E-R. That's pretty good. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Under the Skin. Oh, this Mike Haler for Under the Skin. Murderous Alien. I'd still get in the van. <laughs> I'd Tyler. still get in the van. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't don't make it eight words. Yeah. Um, Tyler Rozier. Roger? Rozier? Blood and Black Lace. Uh-oh, better hide in my gorgeous apartment. <laughs> uh, Dirk for Evil Dead 2. 
demon sounds like children making car sounds. And I love that one just because it's so specific. You know, he definitely <laughs> thought that. It's not like just an off the cuff, like, I think this will be funny. He definitely thought that. Our very own Eric Asperschlager of Midsummer. Harga tourist victims are Wonka kids. Discuss. <laughs> Uh, this is one of my favorite names, Babadook O'Reilly. It's a good one. Uh, Wish upon. Ton tasting translator, totally targeted tangentially. Tragic. (laughs) Brian Street for Hellfest, an Adam Risky favorite, featuring Tony Todd as cashing a paycheck. (laughs) I like that one. Um, our very own Patrick Bromley of Night Tide. What? There's something fishy about Mora. Barely horror. Yeah. And was this your first I, I bring it up because I wanted to ask you, was this your first time watching Night Tide? It was. Was this one of your uh, seen anything good lately? Uh, not really because I wasn't going to bring it up because it's barely horror. Okay. What did you think of it, though? I mean, I thought it was good. I liked it. It has a real, like, Carnival of Souls, we shot this without sound vibe. <laughs> I like we shot this without sound. I know. I live for that. I enjoyed the movie, right. but I, I when it was over, I was like, I probably shouldn't have watched that during Scary Movie Month. I don't know. I think it's horror adjacent enough. All right. Yeah. Um, Jack C. for The Others. These people just needed their own Beetlejuice. <laughs> Matt Sollenberger, uh, another Dog Soldiers. Oi, governor. Wolfman's got bollocks, he does. <laughs> Uh, the Sonya show for Tammy and the T-Rex. The T-Rex is better than Charlie Sheen. I had that one, too. Uh, uh, William, S- William Smith of Veronica. Mother, don't sell your children to Drukija. <laughs> I was kind of sad that we didn't put that together during the commentary. We failed. I, yeah, we kind of we blew it. Um, I noticed on the last podcast that we failed to mention that she says Vergen. She pronounces uh, Virgin as Vergen. Well, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ty Mikol for Halloween 1978. Pretty girls make me breathe like Mike. <laughs> uh, Mac McIntyre for Knife Plus Heart gives new meaning to the word slash fic. I have a Mac McIntyre for Death Bell 2008. What if Saw was produced by Nickelodeon? And that kind of <laughs> makes me want to see it. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> uh, Marcus Killerby for 12 hour shift this movie delivers I'm not kidneying you I have to see that one is it good? I like it a lot it's it's like Night Tide it's horror adjacent you could probably watch it after October okay. it's more of kind of just a, a dark comedy with some gore and violence but uh, I'm a, I was a big fan of it gotcha okay um, I have another Babadook O'Reilly or Scarecrows, like from Dustal Dawn meets Predator. And that's another one where that sells me on the movie. <laughs> uh, Hibachi Justice for Relic 2020. Bleach will clear that dementia right up. <laughs> uh, Reed Strickland for The Visit. That's not how you wear a diaper. <laughs> he got shit on his face. <laughs> uh, Paul Newman, 1989 of Martyrs. Movie watching equivalent of Living Through 2020. I'd rather go through martyrs probably at this I point. I, I never thought I'd well. say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the haunting of Morella. Oh, sorry. Mac McIntyre again. Uh, well done. The haunting of Morella. Poe would have become obsessed with Nicole Eggert. <laughs> Cullen of Psycho 1998. 
was on Stars While I Worked. What? <laughs> That's how we all watched Psycho 1998. Absolutely. I think I've seen that movie like eight times, and it's all because of Stars slash Encore. <laughs> um, okay, Casey Doran for Satomi Hakenden, a.k.a. Legend of the Eight Samurai. Canon presents The Fellowship of the Ringu. Another movie to see. Uh, Tom S. Tex of Ghost Ship. The Love Boat's gritty reboot really sank. Got one more. Uh, this is a question, and I felt like I wanted to answer it. Our friend Rob Cristino, our very own of the Adams Family. So Things is a sex toy, right? <laughs> and I have two answers All right. for that. One is, that's assault, brother. Nice. And two is... It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Very nice. Speaking yeah. of that's assault, brother, here's uh, another Cullen of the Comedy of Terrors, the 60s version of Happy Madison Productions. <laughs> I have to watch Hubie Halloween. That, the, that premiered today. I am saving it for Friday night. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday, October 7th, and uh, we're saving it for family movie night on Friday. Yeah, that's going to make its way into one of my marathons, I think. Nice. I have one yeah. more from Jeremy Wickett for Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Alice Krieg giving huh boners since 1981. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, huh. she's beguiling that one. Huh. <laughs> huh. I like yeah. it. <laughs> it's like... It's like one where you learn something about yourself. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, if you want to hear more about Alice Creed giving us huh boners, listen to last year's commentary track on Sleepwalkers. Yeah, where you're firmly in Team Creed, where everybody else likes Team uh, Amick. Uh, listen, I don't like having to choose because no. in any other game, I'm Team Amick. But yeah. Creed and Sleepwalkers gives me a huh boner. Yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, support, I support all boners. <laughs> Hashtag Speaking not all boners. boners. Yeah, I do have. I have some dirty Halloween jokes. Do you want to hear one? I guess I worry about where this is going to go. <laughs> but sure, it's Scary Movie Month. Okay, there's just two. Okay, and, uh, let's see how the first one goes before we hear the second one. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Why should you always? Sleep with a mummy. Uh, why? Because they wear protection. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> why should you always sleep with Frankenstein's monster? Why? Because he's DTF down to Frankenstein. <laughs> I think I like the first one better. <laughs> They're dirty, Patrick. Just because I'd rather <laughs> fuck a mummy. Well, who wouldn't? Yeah. 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 Uh, Tom Cruise fucked the mummy, <laughs> the franchise. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, Adam, have you seen anything scary lately? Uh, yeah, so I've had a pretty good start to Scary Movie Month. Um, I watched a lot of new things to me that I've enjoyed, um, and I rewatched one that I'll start with that I liked way more than I did when I saw it in 2001, and that is Ernest Dickerson's Bones. Yeah, and yeah, Bones. I liked it a lot more because I think in 2001, I was expecting it to be a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I had like no uh, familiarity with black exploitation cinema at all. And I think having 
seeing a lot of black exploitation movies since then kind of makes me realize the effect that Ernest Dickerson was going for, how this was kind of a throwback. And I really liked it a lot more. And then also when I watch something like the movie that we're doing the show on and I see the special effects in that movie, it makes me really appreciative of New Line 2001 special effects. Yeah, they had some money to make a movie. And Ernest Dickerson was a little bit ahead of the curve, I think, on you know, post-Grindhouse, even though that movie was not necessarily a box office hit, I feel like there's been a glut of exploitation throwbacks in the wake of that movie. And Ernest Dickerson was ahead of all that because, yeah, he was he was six years in front of it. Yeah, it's a good one. I like um, it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched The Hidden for the first time. Okay. That movie rules. Yeah, it's real good. I'm a big fan, and I... Wasn't I, you know, I never disliked Jack Shoulder, but I just wasn't expecting the director of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Wishmaster 2 to have the hidden in his pocket. I always so, forget that he made Wishmaster 2. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's one of those movies where I think for our audience, I should say like, oh, yeah, it's one I want to keep revisiting, but I don't. I'm good with the OG. That's all I need. But uh, the hidden is... That's another one that's kind of horror adjacent. It's more like yeah. sci-fi, but it has a lot to do, or a lot of similarities to like Jason Goes to Hell. That's the thing I kept hearing over the years. It's like, oh, Jason Goes to Hell is kind of like a remake of The Hidden, and I definitely see that. Um, but I was I was caught up into it with like the characters and the story, and I thought it was you know an emotionally well-told story. It wasn't just kind of an exploitation flick, but right. it was really fun i liked it a lot it, it would be perfect to see like at a you know a midnight show it's a good one i haven't i haven't watched bones or the hidden in a number of years and i'm due for a revisit of both so you've convinced me yes all right well let me lighten that load because i'll talk about 2005's boogeyman next which you don't have to watch <laughs> i wasn't planning on it um, this is one of those movies where I can never remember if I bought it or not at half price books for $2. So I own two copies of it. This is very upsetting to me. What it was it a ghost house movie? What was that studio that was putting these out once a year? Yeah, it was Sam Raimi's ghost house pictures. Okay. Um, yeah, they had, you know, it's like a screen gem situation. Totally. Okay. Yeah. It's starring Barry Watson from seventh <laughs> heaven. He's your lead. Um, Emily Deschanel pre bones is in, is in it, but not in it enough. PB. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, got some of the worst visual effects I've ever seen. So like, well, slow your roll. We're talking about tales from the hood three tonight. (laughs) It's probably just as bad, if not worse. Well, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. Um, but once you see the boogeyman, you're just like, really? That's what I've been investing 70 minutes in. And, like, I'm not looking for the world. I'm a big Bye Bye Man fan. I'm just looking for Bye Bye Man quality. And Boogeyman did not deliver. I will say, though, that um, Barry Watson's girlfriend in this movie is super cute. And she's, like, Australian but playing American. And she always wants to have, like, hotel room drinking parties. And I'm just like, I want to watch that movie. I don't want to watch, like boogeyman anymore um but there's some stuff at the beginning that's kind of it you know it scratches my itch for this type of movie like um barry watson's character when he is a kid he sees the boogeyman kill his dad so he's tormented by the boogeyman 
And then they show him, you know, in the next scene and he's an adult and he's like kind of well adjusted, but you know, he's got like, sometimes he gets like boogie spooked and um, he's been going to a therapist because of course, like if the boogeyman kills your dad, like you're going to be going to a, th- a child therapist. Yeah. So, Wait, the, the, the therapist is a, is a child? Uh, no, <laughs> it should have been, but no, the, the therapist is a woman that he's been seeing since a child. But in one of these early scenes, she fires him kind of and is like, look around. I only treat children. You're too old to be coming here. And I'm like, you're just going to cut him off. That's weird. The boogeyman killed his dad. It's not like you just turn 21 and you just are like, oh, okay, the boogeyman killed my dad. You know, life moves on. Maybe you start to understand the boogeyman's point of view. I mean, he, the, the dad in, in uh, flashbacks is shown to be kind of a dick. There we go. So, I mean, there's two sides to the story. There, there is. You're always right. I should have, <laughs> should discuss this with you before making a snap. What were the other movies? It's like Darkness Falls and the yeah. Tooth Fairy. I don't remember the Tooth Fairy. I swear that it, maybe I'm making that up. The Tooth Fairy is that movie. With I the know rock. that was Darkness Falls. It was the same thing. The Tooth Fairy was the the villain in. Darkness. Oh, okay. The Tooth yeah. Fairy is the rock. Yeah, but the two fairies. What's the scarecrow one? one? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, They all came out in like January or Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, isn't Kristen Stewart in like a scarecrow one that Todd Farmer Um, wrote? Messengers. Messengers. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. John Corbett's in that joint too. Oh, then you've seen it. No, I haven't. What? It's just sacrilege. (laughs) John Corbett in a horror movie, and you haven't seen it. No, I've only seen faith-based movies with him. Those are the ones that I'll drive to the theater for. <laughs> Everybody watch All Saints, better than you expect. That's all I'm saying. But wait till November. It's not scary. <laughs> um, okay, so next I watched um, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, which I texted you while I was watching it because I realized as I was watching it, it's a movie I thought I had seen, but I have not seen until last weekend. Right, and you watched the theatrical cut, correct? I did. Yeah, I okay. have like a screen. I have the Screen Factory box, but I think I got like the Miller Lite edition. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't have, have the, the producer. I mean, you can get the producer's cut. cut very cheaply now, I believe, um, yeah. as a standalone disc. Yeah, but I don't know. I liked it. Maybe my expectations were just like in the tank for it going into it. Um, but I told you, like, I liked it more than Halloween 5. I liked it more than Halloween Resurrection. The Cult of Thorns stuff was, like, stupid, but I I appreciate that they tried something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's no dumber than anything, like, in Halloween 3, and I love Halloween 3. So I, I felt bad for, for Jamie. I felt like they were Ugh. needlessly cruel with that, with that killing at the beginning of the movie. Yes, but, they um, were. I thought, I don't know, I like the whole vibe of the movie. Like, it definitely has, like, that October feel to it, so it's very easy to watch and put on. And I was distracted by how much um, the, forgot what the character's name was, but it's the the main Strode woman who's, like, got the kid and is with Paul Rudd for most of the movie. Yeah. I was like, she looks like Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut, before Nicole Kidman and Eyes Wide Shut, like the hairstyling and stuff. So the whole movie, I was kind of like, oh, this is Alice Harford before she had her eyes wide shut. 
You think that the character in Eyes Wide Shut, her backstory is that she had to get her, she had to rescue a baby from Michael Myers? I do. Now I do, yes. That informs so much of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm -hmm. Is that why she fucks the Navy guy? Yeah, and like, you know how they have that really quick edit at the end where you think it's like because Tom Tom Cruise tells her everything? It's no, she just remembered... (laughs) Her night of fighting Michael Myers. What if it was Tom Hanks and Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> it would be a lot more affable. Yeah, a super different movie. It would be Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and that would be... <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. You would be like, I'll tell you everything, and then she would just make that frowny face. <laughs> right. Her typing face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, well, yeah, you are not alone. There are many fans of Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. So, uh, you can join that cult of thorn. Sorry. I'm just distracted by Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and I switched at this point. I would like to see it. Yeah. And, um, Sidney Pollack is played by Eugene Levy. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I don't know. Gary Sinise is uh, the piano player. <laughs> Meg, Ryan, Meg Ryan is all like, yeah, in that one night I experienced, I can't remember the line, never mind. I was trying to go somewhere where she referred to herself as a Fliberty gibbet, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't even get off the trampoline, much less stick the landing. So yeah. he said the, the people at the mansion said Tom Hanks and no, yeah yeah good stuff what if what if what if the one night that he experiences an eyes wide shut is all of just what josh baskin experiences as an adult he grows big and for one night he goes on an eyes wide shut sex odyssey and at the end of the movie he becomes a kid again being an adult is fucked up i would rent out the theater for myself for that (laughs) That sounds amazing. Uh, and I got a, a couple more. Um, last night I watched the perfect movie to watch at like 11 o'clock at night, which is the 65-minute long The Man They Could Not Hang, starring Boris Karloff okay. from 1939. Um, I heard about it, like, I watched this YouTube channel, uh, Cinemassacre, and they do, like, they used to. They haven't this year, but they do, like, capsule reviews each day of different horror movies so like he highlighted the man that could not they could not hang a long time ago and it was a boris karloff i hadn't seen and it's great it's like a really fun like him in villain mode type of movie and it's a lot it shares a lot of similarities with like like if they made flatliners or saw in the 1930s so it's kind of neat um there's like a revenge plot kind of a la theater of blood but he's also trying to like prove that he could bring people back from the dead and it's it's fun it's definitely worth the, uh you know the hour that runtime that it has was this something that you rented on amazon or is this on youtube i rented it on amazon okay yeah and it's a good hd transfer so. okay yeah um and then last but not least i finally saw blackula which it's a movie that i for whatever reason just never got around to um i really liked it a lot like yeah, super I, good. I i really enjoyed it it's up there with like my favorites of the black exploitation horror movies probably with sugar hill 
and maybe is JD's revenge horror or is that kind of not? It's really horror awesome? adjacent. Yeah. Okay. It's a real night tide uh, situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, but I don't know. Like I, I saw it at the music box of horrors drive-in and I was having some trouble watching it because I was parked too close, but luckily I own the Blu-ray of it. So I watched it when I got home and um, it was really cool. One thing I like about a lot of these seventies black exploitation movies is they've got the plot, but it's not going to get in the way of lounge time. <laughs> and I don't I like, I go there for the horror, but I stay for lounge time. I love lounge time. I love that there's like a 20 minute break of just the Hughes corporation songs, because I wrote in my seven word review that they damn near steal the movie. And it's mm-hmm. like awesome. Just like these musical sequences. Um, and it was funny cause they opened Blackula with a bunch of trailers for like vampire movies, like, um, Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde or vamp and, uh, near dark i think was another one um and then they did a video intro by the director uh william crane and it was really funny because during the vi- the, the video he keeps talking about like all these other projects he's got that he wants to do like other horror projects like a werewolf movie and all this stuff and then i'm just like what else has he directed and i looked and i'm like you haven't made anything since the 70s now you got this giant slate that you want to put together he's ready but good for him i hope he does it was uh i really liked blackula and now i just kind of i i heard the sequel isn't as good and i know william crane didn't direct it but i wanted to see if you'd seen um the sequel to blackula I have seen it, and when we were texting, I was like, my memory is that the sequel was better, but I think I'm remembering that wrong. It's been years since I saw either one, and I remember being very pleasantly surprised by Blackula because I think I expected it to be silly because of the title, but they play it real straight, and I really liked it, and uh, William Marshall, right? Yeah. Is Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, I kind of had a similar... Um, trepidation going into it where I thought it was going to be like the asylum version of this movie. And it's really not at all. It's like you said, they play it straight and um, yeah, I dug it. It's a good one. And then I, they had blade two after that. And I watched that for the first time since opening night in 2002. And it's still good. It's still my favorite of the blade movies. Yeah, mine too. I haven't revisited it in a number of years, but I remember really digging it when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember getting for some reason like a promotional copy of the soundtrack about two weeks before the movie came out mm. and listening to a lot of that in my room at my frat house. So when I was watching the movie I was having definite Sigma Pi fraternity flashbacks of like, Oh yeah, I remember this song and that was kind of fun too, but uh, that's an experience that only I have, so I don't know why I brought it up. <laughs> when you were at the drive-in seeing Blade Two, were you VIP Reedus? I was in my heart and in my mind because <laughs> for some reason he was one of the most like engaging parts of the movie. As whereas in 2002, I probably didn't give a damn because I was just like Norman Who, but now I'm straight up VIP. <laughs> How was uh, the experience of the? music box of horrors drive in because I don't think I'll be able to go. Their start times are pretty late and we have yeah. kids and can't get babysitters because of the pandemic. So uh, we will the, not be attending. The venue itself is 
nice. Like they definitely put some theming into it. So it feels like you're going to a fun kind of like Halloween event. It sort of has a vibe of like when you go to a haunted house and they kind of dress it up a little bit. So that was, that was nice. And then they do, um, you know, like they had some raffles for some Mondo exorcist posters and then they had some themed food and it was co-sponsored by shutter and cavity colors and they had a trailer block and everything. So it was cool from that regard. Um, I will say though, it is in a, and I don't want to like, I don't know, be too judgy, but like it was in an area off the highway past downtown Chicago that felt like judgment night when I got off the expressway <laughs> for about a mile. So like that was a little uncomfortable, but then like once you get to the drive-in, it's in the middle of like this industrial park area. So I'm totally, I was totally comfortable when I was there, but there's like about a five minute span where I was just like, where the hell am I? You were in judgment night. I kind of was. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't even move. Don't even breathe. <laughs> Um, well, that's awesome. I'm glad that they're doing that, and I'm glad that it turned out to be a success for you. You got a good double feature. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Is Blade Two? Would you say Blade Two is your favorite Del Toro? I know you're not like he's not your guy necessarily. Yeah, I would say it's probably Pan's Labyrinth and then Blade Two. Okay. So, but yeah, Del Toro's just never. I don't know. I never like tend to gravitate towards the visionary director in mm. quotes. I kind of am more the bye-bye man. <laughs> <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. Are you saying the director of the bye-bye man is not a visionary? I mean, I it opened my eyes up. But <laughs> I would say it's more like the blind by man. Nice. Yeah. I don't have a ton of stuff that I've seen because I just recorded one of these two nights ago. And leading up to that, I was watching a lot of Hammer Frankenstein movies. And leading up to this, I basically only had time to watch Tales from the Hood 3. The pandemic is doing some interesting things to my October movie watching because the kids are home all day going to school. So I can't have movies on during the day because A, they're in school and B, I'm helping them with school. Um, they're always around, so I can't watch anything like R-rated even post-school. So I'm usually lucky if I can squeeze in like one older title that's maybe a little more family-friendly late afternoon while I'm working, because I start working like basically after they finish with school. And then maybe an R-rated movie after they go to bed, because without fail, our daughter will come downstairs every night to ask for something, to show us a handstand uh, to, for whatever reason. And she'll always turn to the TV and say, is this R rated? And we'll say, yeah, last night she came down. She said, is this rated R? I said, yeah. And she saw a glimpse of somebody who had been badly burned and she ran upstairs. But then today she was very interested. She was asking, what was that? What happened to that person? What happened in the rest of the movie? And I'm trying to explain what an anthology is to her. She's eight. She doesn't give a shit. Um, so I saw, I watched The Mummy's Ghost on Peacock. I own it on Blu-ray. I don't know why I chose to watch it on Peacock. I don't subscribe to Peacock. This is on the free version of Peacock that it finally was added to the Roku. So I had to watch it with commercials. 
and for whatever reason, Peacock crashes my Roku probably three times a movie. Uh, it restarts, and I have to go back in and, and start the movie from where I left off. Not a huge issue, but not an issue I would have had had I just come downstairs and taken the Blu-ray off my shelf. Not much to say about The Mummy's Ghost, except that it runs one hour, which is kind of nice. Lon Chaney plays The Mummy, and there's a good deal more mummy action in it than in the original Mummy. What's the Mummy one that just lifts scenes from the previous Mummy one? Oh, Was I don't that know. The ghost? I don't think so. This seemed to be new material, but I don't know that I've seen any of the Mummy sequels. This might have yeah. been the first one I ever saw. I think I've seen like maybe one of them off Sven Gulli, but I, and I remember during that one they were saying that like whatever sequel it was was cribbing scenes from the predecessor. This would be a good one for uh, Sven Gulli to show because. It's only an hour, and we can he can squeeze in a lot of camera time. Yeah. Um, my mom is a big fan of The Blob, 1958, so I told her, you know, hey, Sven Gulli's doing that. Uh, this was a few weeks ago. I'm like, you should watch it. And then she called me up, and she was, she I guess, had never seen Sven Gulli before, and she was very upset that he kept interrupting The Blob. <laughs> yeah. She was like, and then he was singing stupid songs and they were throwing chickens and I'm like, yes, yeah, so you just, you should just not watch. <laughs> Maybe but, it's not the show for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 20 years ago, if you, future Patrick says yeah. in past Patrick, Patrick, um, Peacock crashed my Roku. How would you react? <laughs> I'd punch myself in the dick. Because I don't even understand what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then the uh, the, uh, the other movie I watched was I'm going... Unofficially, I've been doing a Rob Zombie rewatch. I rewatched Lords of Salem a couple of weeks ago. I rewatched Halloween last week. Uh, Erica and I, the night before Halloween, kicked things off with House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, so I rewatched 31 because I was like, maybe this will be the time I like it. And I still don't really... Uh, I find it very watchable. I know this isn't the last time that I will watch it, because I find it very watchable, just, again, as a fan of his casting, as a fan of the actors that are in the movie, uh, as a fan of some of his aesthetic. But there's just way too much, like, edgelord bullshit in 31... Uh, whether it's Pancho Moller, like with a swastika on his chest, or Richard Brake shouting obscenities while having sex with Ginger Lynn while Nosferatu plays in the background. It's just too much like, look at how edgy I am uh, for my taste. And I, I find it very frustrating. Yeah, that kind of makes me not want to revisit it. I've only seen it the, I think I've only seen it the one time um, during the Fathom event, but. You sold me on rewatching Three from Hell a few weeks ago, and I did like that better. Yeah, I've liked that one more on subsequent viewings. Uh, that hasn't really happened for 31 yeah. yet. You know, who's to say it won't someday, but it, it remains my least favorite Rob Zombie movie. Mm-hmm. And with that... Peacock crashed my Roku. Peacock crashed my Roku. The, is the code word, uh, the password... Instead of Fidelio in the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan, I switched it up. Uh, let's get into 
Tales from the Hood 3, which... Do we uh, have to? I mean, okay, let's do it. <laughs> on the night that we're recording this, it just came out yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I'm not positive when this podcast will come out, but so it may be this week, it may be next week. Um, but we are recording this having just seen it yesterday for the first time. Uh, just as we did with Tales from the Hood 2, you know, we we are recording this podcast because we feel like people expect it. We did the original Tales from the Hood. We had a great time. We did Tales from the Hood 2. We had less fun with that. Uh, and now we have to complete the trilogy and do Tales from the Hood 3. Tales from the Hood 3 suggests to me that they're, they're not going to stop here. I think we may get some more Tales from the Hood movies. Yeah, yeah. I would say the only way it stops is if this one doesn't sell as well as Tales from the Hood 2, but uh, there's no, there's no culmination or like culmination. wrapping this up with a bow at all. <laughs> Thank you. There's no or wrapping it up with a bow at all at the end of Tales from the Hood three. If anything, they're branching out and trying new stuff. Well, that's why I think yeah that we could get more sequels because there are elements that they are no longer interested in carrying over. Things like the wraparound sequence uh it can be different now and the stories don't really have to have to have to have anything to do with uh the hood at all uh they can kind of you know it's it's turning into just tales from the dark side basically not the yeah. movie the tv show which i'm okay with um i will start by saying the 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 jump from Tales from the Hood to Tales from the Hood 2 was was harsh. Um, and I was very disappointed in that movie because Tales from the Hood is so good and Tales from the Hood 2 is less good um, that I, we were both pretty brokenhearted when we recorded that podcast. The jump from Tales from the Hood 2 to Tales from the Hood 3, I think because I'm coming from such a place of lowered expectations and disappointment, I liked Tales from the Hood 3 a lot more than I expected to. I think it's a big improvement over Tales from the Hood 2. I would agree with that. I would say that Tales from the Hood is like Creepshow. Tales from the Hood 2 is like you went straight to Creepshow 3. Yeah. And Tales from the Hood 3 is like you went back to Creepshow 2. Uh, yeah, I could, I, I could buy that. Um, but yeah, I, as I did with Tales from the Hood 2, because we're recording a podcast on it and because it's a new movie that I was unfamiliar with, I did watch it twice in 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Your commitment is something. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm Tales from the Hood guy. <laughs> I have to, I have to support my followers. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I... I didn't like it at all. Um, the first time I watched it, I think I felt more similar to how I felt with Tales from the Hood. When I watched it the second time, kind of knowing what I was in for, that it wasn't going to be a return to the form of Tales from the Hood, I was a lot more forgiving, and I found things to like in pretty much all of the segments. Okay. Um, I don't think that there's outright complete worthless stinkers like there were in Tales from the Hood 2 like the Cards Against Humanity like Vampire Girl sequence or um, oh trying to think of what, other, what other ones there were in that oh, one. The, the, the one with the medium? Oh yeah, the medium one which 
even somebody involved in the movie once messaged us saying we were right about. <laughs> um, which is one of my favorite moments in F this movie lore. Yeah. Um, and this one, I, I feel like, um, so Darren Scott directed two of them and Rusty Condiff directed two of them and the wraparound. So he had three all together. I'm more of a fan of the Darren Scott ones. And I think that that makes sense because I, you and I have both also seen American Nightmares, which is Tales from the Hood 2.5, basically. I completely um, forgot about American Nightmares. Yeah, and that's more Rusty Cundiv. And I feel like he leans a lot more into comedy, whereas Darren Scott kind of plays it a little bit more serious. And I feel like those are the ones that work better. For some reason, I just don't have maybe the same sense of humor as Rusty Cundiff. Well, I found this one to be a lot less broad overall than Tales from the Hood 2, which got real goofy and silly a lot of the time, with the exception of that last sort of Twilight zone segment where the guy goes back into the past. Um, and this one I thought was kind of more, more serious-ish throughout, with the exception of maybe the last segment with the yeah. shoes. But I yeah. thought there was still some cool stuff in the segment with the shoes. Mm-hmm. We yeah. should we should talk spoiler free for just a couple minutes in case people want to see this. Maybe we can go through the segments and talk about uh, how we what what they're about and uh, whether or not we like them, <laughs> and then we could get into spoilers. The wraparound features Tony Todd and a young girl. And I was happy. I knew nothing about the movie. I hadn't seen a trailer, hadn't read anything about it. I just knew, okay, Tales from the Hood 3 comes out October 6th. I'm down. Um, and I didn't know if they were recasting, what's his name? Clarence Williams. Sims, Sims yeah. Again, yeah. As, as they had done with Keith David, they just, every movie, they just recast uh, with a popular black genre actor. So they got Tony Todd. And I was like, well, is Tony Todd playing Sims now? He is not. Um, and they are hiding from someone or something and the young girl says well can i tell you a story and initially i had an issue with that i thought why is this young girl especially when the first story she tells is about like land development uh i was like well how does she know anything about this it would make so much more sense for tony todd to be the one telling the stories and that pays off uh so i won't spoil that but i thought it was a weird choice and then it made more sense by the end of the movie um so the wraparound is very simple, which I kind of appreciated. I wish it was maybe a little more interesting. But again, when you compare it to how sweaty the wraparound was in part two with Patriot Bot and like Keith David Sims, come tell stories to Patriot Bot so that it can learn. Uh, yeah, Sims is a person with a career. Right, exactly. And his job is to feed robots with tails. <laughs> It was just, it it reached so hard. And so I was like, I'm down with the simplicity of this. Um, and then we get into the first story, which, as I said, is about uh, a land developer who wants a family out of an apartment because he wants to turn it into a hospital. Do I have that right? Yeah, he says that he wants to turn it into a hospital, but then it's kind of, he's kind of, shady right land developer and he really just wants to knock it down to build more expensive condos 
Um, I did, maybe I'll wait until we get into the segment itself more, but I was a little like, this place looks not too bad. Like, it looks kind of like a nice apartment building. Yeah, they refer to it as like a slum, (laughs) and it's not. Uh, There's a very nice family that lives there with a sick kid. They do not want to leave. They're holding out, so he decides to hire an arsonist to set a grease fire at two in the morning. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to explain that one. Yeah. Uh, also, he, he also says like, Hey, I need you to do another job. And I'm like, isn't it going to get suspicious that there's just these right. grease fires at all these buildings that you own? <laughs> uh, the, the, the fire goes badly. The family is killed. And, uh, and then in a, something to tide you over twist, they kind of come back to haunt this guy. Yeah. Uh, which is probably giving away too much, but I don't know how much to give away here. The second story features a guy just monologuing racist gibberish in a cabin. And like a bunker. That, yeah, that's all I can really say about that. Having sex with blow-up dolls. <laughs> uh, kissing a poster. Did you know who it was? <laughs> who the actor was? Yeah. Who? It's um, I think his name is Cooper Huckerby. Oh Huckerby. yes, I know who he's Cooper from, Huckerby is from the Funhouse movie. Yeah. The Funhouse. I he's recognized him, but I didn't. Guy. I recognized him, but I didn't look it up. That's embarrassing. Yeah, I I only noticed that because when I was um, I rented the movie on Amazon, and then they like show cast pictures and they give like their bio, and it says Cooper Huckerby from the Funhouse, and I'm like, ooh, Patrick, I I wonder if he knows. <laughs> He was like the hunk in the funhouse. And he guess what? He's hunk. still a hunk. Yeah. His racist tirades. Um, the third story, is that the opera one? Yeah. Uh, a backup singer gets fired and gets a new job, like babysitting this opera singer played by Lynn Whitfield. She was an opera singer in like the fifties. She performed once in a in a production of Carmen, uh, and the, she and her boyfriend plot to murder the woman because she's very rich. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Making sure I'm not forgetting anything. And then in the last segment, uh, what's the last? Oh, the last one is a guy, the face punching bandit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, we've we've come a long way from um, hardcore convert in the first movie, where it was just <laughs> a notorious serial murdering gang member, to now it's just the guy who punches people and takes fifty dollars from them. He needs comeuppance. Hardcore this, this comeuppance. Did, yeah, this did seem to be sort of the bastard stepchild of hardcore convert. Uh, yeah, he punches people in the face and robs them. He punches an old lady and robs her. And the old lady's daughter goes on TV and basically says, you'll get what's coming to you. You're going to walk a mile in your victim's shoes. And then wouldn't you know, he uh, steals a pair of gold sneakers, puts them on and then cannot take them off. And weird shit starts happening to him. And I do mean shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was my seven word review, which is someone shits their pants in this movie. (laughs) So, the racist and this one have to be Rusty Cundiff, right? Yes. Okay. And, <laughs> Just based on what Tony you said, I put that together. And Tony Todd. Yeah, and the Tony Todd. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, interesting. So do you have a favorite segment in the movie? I don't think that I do, but I think by the end of us talking about these, I probably will pick one. Do you okay. have a favorite? I don't think I do either. I mean, the racist one is short. Yeah. And has kind of a punchline. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Uh, the I mean, oh. the walk a mile in your shoes is pretty entertaining. <laughs> like... <laughs> there's certain things in each of these that I liked and certain things in each of these that I probably didn't like as much. Um, I like, for example, um, let's start with, I guess, Ruby Gates, which is the, uh, the evil landlord one. Yeah. So I liked that it was sort of atmospheric, which that's one thing that this movie kind of has a leg up on tales from the hood too, is, it's not all shot in like bright lights and it doesn't look all, it, it still looks very digital, yeah. but like it doesn't, there is some atmosphere and I appreciate that with, uh, with the Ruby gate segment. I also think um, I just made a note. I think like this one maybe got to me the most of the segments because I wrote at one point, the family living in that apartment are just real nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, like, they do that purposefully, so, like, you you get kind of a bloodlust to get, like, justice for their, their deaths, but um, I think that there's somewhat of an emotional core to it that the other segments maybe don't. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I was, I was weirdly on board with it. Um, I, I didn't love... I guess we should get into spoilers now if you haven't... Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie or if you don't care about seeing the movie, continue to listen. If you do plan to te- check out Tales from the Hood 3, which I am kind of giving it a recommendation. Like, it's flawed, but I just think it's such an improvement over Tales from the Hood 2. Uh, I didn't outright dislike any of the segments and kind of liked some of them. Um, yeah, I would I would recommend it too. I, I don't think it's like the movie to centerpiece your evening around, but I think if it's just like one of the movies that you're throwing on, you know, on a Saturday, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, and it'll probably be on Netflix pretty soon or something like that because those universal direct-to-video ones. Yeah, I think Sci-Fi Channel is going to air it sometime this month. Oh, okay. Well, you can watch it on Sci-Fi Channel. Then maybe you want to turn this off and tune back in after you've seen it. Um, but spoilers for Tales from the Hood 3 coming up. I... Just thought the comeuppance was kind of lame. Like, I was on board for the whole segment. Even I I could get... I was down with the bad fire effects. I thought the (laughs) basketball bouncing on the phone was appropriately creepy. I was like, oh, that's a nice little device there. Um, But I just thought the actual comeuppance of the evil landlord was just kind of lame, you know? Yeah, it was a little. I think a lot of these segments kind of have like a real like shrug your shoulders ending. Yeah, with the exception of the racist, I think they all yeah. do. Yeah, because you know, like it usually ends up with you know antagonist dies, but then like it just kind of awkwardly edits back to Tony Todd and the little girl, right. and there's really no. I don't know. It doesn't like really kind of settle before you're on to the next thing, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, I was sort of disappointed and this is just 
you know, me being Adam Risky, but like <laughs> I was sort of disappointed because he's got the landlord when he's getting haunted by the ghosts, has his gun drawn and the basketball keeps bouncing. The whole time I'm just like, I've never seen anyone shoot a basketball in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he never does. And I was like, would it like really explode or does it deflate? Like I kind of wanted to see that. And it would sort of like Chekhov's basketball after a while. I'm sorry. I wanted to see it like go through a head like in Deadly Friend. Yeah, well, you know, you'll get to that with Craven Craven. Yeah, I know. But I just felt like uh, <laughs> that would have been a little bit more thematically appropriate, you know. This is true. I uh, I didn't like the arsonist guy. I felt like he had watched Backdraft way too many times, but like watched He was Backdraft a little over the top, yeah. <laughs> He watched Backdraft 2, Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Is Donald Sutherland in Backdraft 2? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Why? They got they brought Backdraft two people two back? <laughs> yeah, no. I know they brought back Billy Baldwin, sort of, but I didn't know they brought yeah. back Donald Sutherland also. Yeah, no, he's... Yeah, it, it's like, which characters did people love from Backdraft that we have to bring back? I know. Um, <laughs> Billy Baldwin and Fire. Yeah, in CGI fire. <laughs> oh God! Um, you know, you know, if you're gonna make a movie about backdrafts, CGI fire is fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I there were certain things that like kind of just didn't make it. the 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 one that sticks out where I'm just like this doesn't make any sense is like the evil landlord goes into the apartment of the people that got killed in the fire. And there's like an evil Pennywise in the closet for no reason. Yeah, that was a little bit out of nowhere. And again, if it was like a variety of things that began taunting him, that would be something. But Or, or even if you showed the clown like in the apartment in the first scene, so we know that there's a clown, like right. the kid likes clowns. Right. It was just weird. It felt like a trailer shot where they're just like, what can we put in like the one minute trailer? Yeah. And like we need a clip of a scary clown, so that'll hook people. That'll hook the it crowd. He's, um, he's really just murdering people left and right. He's really kind of a bad businessman. Uh, he's the worst. Yeah, if he just did his job well and honestly, he probably would have the apartment. He'd be doing up. a lot better. Yeah, I actually really liked the actor, though. I don't know his name. He's good. Yeah. Um, I don't remember his name either. Or no, no. I, for some reason, I do know. It was like Loudon Brown, and he was on Ballers, which I never watched, but that's what he was. Is known. it London Brown? Yeah, London Brown. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think so far this is my favorite of the five segments. Um, yeah, again, I was, I was waiting. I didn't want to keep texting you because I knew you were recording a podcast last night. I, I texted you in the opening segment. Cause I was like, okay, I'm on board. This is something different. He's not playing Sims. Um, it's, it's somewhat atmospheric. We don't know what they're running from. We don't know what they're hiding from. Like that's kind of interesting him and this little girl. And then I wanted to just keep texting you my thoughts, but I knew we were going to record a podcast on it. So it would, it would, it would ruin everything. But <clears throat> um, I was still on board after this segment. I was like, okay, it's wasn't, it didn't quite stick the landing the way I was hoping that it would, but it has, as you pointed out, some atmosphere. It, 
it, it has that it has that you know kind of shitty video look but there there's some production value they're trying to make it look like a movie it didn't mm-hmm. feel lazy the way that stuff in tales from the hood 2 felt kind of lazy and cheap this didn't feel that way it felt low budget you know obviously but uh, it felt like everybody was really trying and I so appreciated that. And, you know, it has yeah. some of what we go to Tales from the Hood for, which is some of that social commentary in terms of talking about gentrification. Um, mm-hmm. So I was I was I was still on board. Yeah, I kind of on the second viewing, like I the first viewing was weird because I watched half of the movie at like three in the morning. And then I watched the <laughs> other half of it at like 10 in the morning because okay. I couldn't sleep. I guess I, it was like waiting up for Santa Claus. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, "Ooh, Sims is visiting me tonight." So, um, so I, so the first viewing was a little hazy, but like on the second viewing, when I was watching the Ruby Gates segment, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because I was like, "Okay, this isn't just like the most, you know, kind of." idiotic version of social commentary that like tales from the hood Two was this is sort of like an ec comics story right like a more of like just a traditional revenge story it felt very classical in that way like this is a segment that really could be in any anthology like and i mean that as a compliment it just has the you know the right foundation for a good anthology segment and one thing I wanted to ask you was, did you at any point during this movie get like a creep show, the series vibe? Because these felt like segments that would be in creep show just as much as Tales from the Hood to me. I could absolutely see that. For some reason, I only had Tales from the Dark Side in my head, but I think it's because I forgot that there was a creep show, the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, these could easily be creep show, the series segments too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the next segment was the bunker, which is racist guy segment with the guy from the fun house. And I'll say this, that guy really commits. Yeah, he sure does. I weirdly enough was watching it like with the subtitles on, which is I think the only way to watch it because he's spewing such nonsense. And I appreciate that they make him real stupid because he messes up a lot of words. Yeah. So he's yeah, just he's a, like. Yeah, he's like the Damon Wayne's character in jail and in living <laughs> Right, exactly. He's just a ranting lunatic. Um and then, you know, again, the punchline, it's it's short. You have to get through a bunch of racism. And the punchline is he gets shot in the head. Well, he kind of shoots himself in the head. He takes a shot at some people, and all of a sudden we learn that there's like a force field around him and the bullet bounces off and hits him in the head and kills him, and we discover he's in a zoo. And he's the exhibit, uh, rate the American racist. Yeah, yeah. There's like a misogyny wing and a right. racist wing, and right. he's the exhibit. And then they say like, "Oh, racists are an endangered species." And then the the field trip guide or the teacher is like, "Well, I think there's another racist exhibit in Mississippi that's still around." <laughs> and stuff, so. I almost appreciated the optimism of this segment. Yeah, it is weirdly optimistic, all things considered. For a, um, for a horror movie. Yeah. And normally, what like, because I'll just use as a counterpoint Tales from the Hood 2. When they were skewering racist white people in that movie, I felt like I didn't enjoy the satire. It just felt like wallowing in the ugly, disgusting Fox News behavior that I'm, we have to 
put up with in our daily lives all the time. But in this one, he's such a buffoon that after a while it got really funny, especially with like how much Cooper Huckabee just commits to playing this guy, this very specific person and just how desperate and pathetic he is. I found it as it went along more and more funny. Yeah. Again, I think it, it also benefits from being short um, and having just one idea and executing that one idea. The punchline kind of makes it worth it. Uh, again, it's not great. It's barely horror. Uh, it's more Twilight zone kind of in terms of the, the twist at the end. Um, but I was still on board with the movie. Do we love this movie? I guess what I'm saying is this is the best <laughs> anthology uh, of the 2000s. Man, this movie's so good, Peacock crashed my rope. <laughs> it's Uh, true it's so true girl you're gonna crash my roku peacock won't stop crashing my roku i hate watching anything on peacock because i have to say i watched it on peacock yeah i could see that yeah and i canceled hbo max because there's no way to watch it and we had really only subscribed so that i could watch class action park and then, uh, no joke, a day after I canceled it, they announced The Witches. Yeah. So thanks a lot yeah. for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching The Witches either on my phone or my laptop, but <laughs> I will watch it. They got to get it on other, uh, some other streaming services soon, I would think. You would think so. I don't know. I, fi- I felt like they would figure it out by now, though. Yeah. So this could go on forever. But we'll see. I think The Witches looks pretty good. I haven't seen a trailer, but I like Robert Zemeckis, and I like The Witches, and I like Anne Hathaway. I said her name kind of weird, Anne Hathaway. Uh, so I'm on board. I like this bizarro Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Damn it. She's like it's like Rachel Portman, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um what should we call it? They're like the Dave versions of their counter- right, real right, counterpart. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the third segment is called Operatic, and it is um, the one with the second biggest star of the movie, Lynn Whitfield. And she seems like she's having a really good time just kind of chewing up the scenery. It's probably the most Clarence Williams-y type performance of the Tales from the Hood 3 cast. I was amazed to see her show up because I was under the impression that aside from Tony Todd, this movie had no stars. And then all of a sudden there's Lynn Whitfield. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I kept thinking that it was going to go more Sunset Boulevardy, but it kind of abandons that sort of quickly and then becomes the skeleton key. Oh, I've never seen the skeleton key. It's the same ending as the skeleton key. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I liked a lot of the setup for this, but I did not care for the twist in it. I just was like, oh, is that it? Okay, that's not especially interesting. Yeah, I was kind of the same way with it. Um, I, I appreciated that it felt like a full story because some of the other segments feel more like kind of setups then well yeah the the racist one it feels yeah. more like a sketch yeah yeah 
so at least from a variety standpoint, I, I, I kind of appreciated it. And, um, but yeah, it's, it was one where now that I'm kind of talking through it, I think maybe I didn't like it as much as the other two. Although I, I, I did think like, especially in the beginning with, um, you know, the, the, the woman who is a backup singer, but is so good that she's kind of ostracized from her group because the lead singer knows she's better than she is was an interesting angle. And then I never really understood. I wish I kind of got more with like how Lynn Whitfield became who she was because they said like, you know, she was an understudy for Carmen for the opera Carmen. But then it's like, but then it was kind of like, that was her only performance. And I'm like, well, how is she so wealthy then? Like it would make sense if it was, you know, I was this, you know, aging movie star like Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard. But like it, I don't know, it made me like start asking questions and that's kind of not what you want in your horror anthology segment. But overall, I mean, I'll take this one over any of the segments in Tales from the Hood 2. Yes, I believe I would too. I actually meant to rewatch Tales from the Hood 2 before this episode and just did not have a chance uh, because I can't remember liking any of the segments. And I liked enough of this one. I don't, you know, the blood transfusion thing, that never really pays off, right? Or is that, does that have something to do with the twist? Uh, She dies from it. Right. um, But not the twist, no. Okay. I don't know. It's just when you're in a horror movie and somebody has a refrigerator full of blood that they need transfused into their body, you kind of expect there to be like a horror twist on that. <laughs> and then or that actually, no, 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 no. They drink the blood in order to steal the souls of those two people. Cause like there's the older guy who takes over like the young record producer dude. Right. And he's drinking blood out of a goblet. And it so- it seems like it's some sort of like a, satanic ceremony where that's what he's doing to kind of steal okay. that guy's body. Okay. I, that didn't totally make sense to me. No, no. Um, when tales from the hood two and tales from the hood three, uh, their strength is not rulemaking <laughs> <laughs> because I remember in the tales from the hood two, like the Medgar Evers sketch, I was just like, what is the internal logic of this? Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. And I kind of had that, especially with the fourth segment in Tales from the Hood 3, where even at one point, um, one of the people in the afterlife are like, tell him the rules, because everybody's just like, well, how is he going to get to this? Like, what do you, what, what is he supposed to do now? <laughs> um, again, I, I appreciate that, it, you know, this is trying to play it straight. It's trying to be creepy and a little more elegant. Um I, everybody's trying, you know, and it's not that they weren't trying with Tales from the Hood too. That movie just rubbed me the wrong way because there's just, uh, there's so many things about it that I didn't like. And so this is such a step up for me uh, because I really did feel like everybody was trying to make the best possible movie, which they may have been on part two. I just wasn't on board with what they were coming up with. Yeah. This one feels (laughs) like they had more resources, which was nice. Yeah. It's almost like they kind of listened to our podcast and was like, let's make these guys at least a little bit happy. <laughs> well, they did it. It worked. Yeah. Good on you, Rusty Cundiff and Darren Scott. This one, I actually feel like Spike Lee maybe watched, whereas the other one, I was just like, he definitely, I'm like, there's no way they showed this to him. There's no way. <laughs> I forgot that he was an executive producer until I saw his credit at the end. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember him no. being an executive producer, obviously, on the first one, but I it didn't occur to me that, like, he still is on these sequels. Yeah. When I, I just picture if Spike Lee watched Tales from the Hood 2, he would, like, stand up and walk out of the screening room without saying anything, like when Green Book won all those Oscars over right. Black Clans. Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He just wouldn't have the words. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then the last segment is Dope Kicks, which um, oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, which is the most comedic, probably, of the four. If not your, uh, maybe the racist guy segment is more comedic. But the racist guy segment could is... almost be a Chappelle's show sketch. Like I'm not positive yeah. that Rusty Cundiff didn't just like pull a script out of the drawer from Chappelle's show and like, well, let's put this in here. It definitely does feel like that, yeah. Um, Dope Kicks did not start out well for me. It got better as it went along because I really don't want to live in the movie space of somebody who's pissed and shit themselves. (laughs) And at least a minute to two minutes of this 20-minute segment is dedicated to pooping and peeing and cleaning up of the pooping and peeing. Cleaning up without being able to take your shoes off and having to just like shower yourself with your pants, your shitty pants still on because you can't get your pants off over your shoes because your shoes won't come off. It was really gross. The sound design on the stomach gurgling and stuff, all that stuff was real, real gross. The butt water didn't help. No, I didn't need to see the butt water to know that he was, uh, you know, cleaning I'm, shit out. I, I got it. I'm guessing Rusty Cundiff was doing that as an homage to Psycho. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do for shit what Janet Lee did for blood. <laughs> you know, they use chocolate syrup for the butt water in Tales from the Hood 3. Oh, yeah. Good on them. Coming soon to like, IMDb Trivia. It definitely looked like poo residue. So <laughs> taken, good on them. Taken right from That's this maybe podcast. the best special effect in the movie is the butt water. <laughs> butt water, Tales from the Hood 3, colon, butt water. <laughs> That's how they sell it like in certain markets, like at Walmart. It's just called <laughs> butt water? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Todd in butt water. <laughs> yeah. Charles Band like... presents butt water. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they're totally like, we're not going to be able to sell this in Walmarts unless we put the butt water branding on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so aside from the poo and pee stuff, like, it's kind of an interesting premise, like that, you know, you have to walk a mile in your victim's shoes. So, like, then he starts going through, like, rigor mortis and his body starts smelling and everything. And then he's given a choice where it's basically like, you have to find your victim, which we don't know at that point. Like, you've just been punching people. Like, right. did you punch yeah. somebody so hard that they died? And it turns out he did. You have to go find your victim and then, like, repent. And then you're allowed to go to hell. Or if you don't do that, then you're going to be basically in this purgatory where you're tracked down by. I described him as two things. One is Eagle Man. Okay. Or look at those the other one is. The other one is if Alf played Mason Berger. <laughs> I thought he was more like Toucan Sam from hell. Yeah, yeah. So follow your nose. You, would you? Would you? I'll swallow your soul. Just, I'll swallow your soul with every nutritious breakfast. <laughs> would you rather go? But water. Hell? It's part of a complete breakfast. 
<laughs> would I rather go to hell? Yes, is the answer. Would you, you would rather go to hell than to, to be tracked down in purgatory? Um, no, I don't know. Uh, no, I'd probably. Well, I don't know I if would... I if my bones were all locked up and I was covered in my own poo and pee. Like, I don't know. At least in hell, I could stretch my legs a little. I feel like eventually you would get to, it would be like Palm Springs with you and Toucan Sam. <laughs> and I kind of would rather live in that rubber reality we than would hell. Just fall in love at the end, you're saying? I ain't too proud to beg. No, you know? listen, I get it. Love is hard to find these days. I thought. Love is supposedly all around us. <laughs> That's what I hear. Um, I thought, I mean, I thought that I didn't love the effect, but I thought the Toucan Sam, you know, the design was like appropriately creepy. I thought it was cool when we saw the angel. Um, you know, there's a, the, the, the segment leaves you wondering for a while, like what's going on and then has this massive exposition dump, not to be confused with the poo dump that the guy takes. Um, where the woman explains that you're, you're living out death basically. And you, you know, you're, you piss and shit yourself when you die and you're going through rigor mortis and you, and that was a little bit like, Oh, okay. You know, yeah, <laughs> like there could have been a more cinematic way for you to explain right. these rules a little right. bit more. I don't know. But, and then at the end, Peacock really crashed that guy's rogue. Am I right? <laughs> you said it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we go back to the oh, yeah, wraparound right. segment. I forgot about and the wraparound. It, I didn't see the twist coming. Um, I guess I didn't either. And it's unfortunate because it's handled with a kid giving exposition immediately, like 10 minutes after we had this other woman give all this exposition. And the way that it's handled is not great because, again, it's a kid saying, like, maybe the reason I weigh more than I look is because I'm not human. I'm something other than human. And it's, you're just like, you don't need to explain all this. I'm fine with, like, she turns out to be the new Sims, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, she's Lil Sims. Lil Sims. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Sims. Just make that the reveal. You don't have to do the buildup. You could still have the kids coming and, you know, or the little demon kids coming to kill Tony Todd. Like, all that is fine. I don't need all the exposition that leads up to it. This is a minor gripe. I'm I'm nitpicking Tales from the Hood 3, and I don't mean to. Uh, it was just some clumsy exposition right after some other clumsy exposition. So Tony Todd is this child murderer, basically, and all the kids come back to get revenge and chop his head off and send him to yeah. hell, motherfucker. And then when they send him to hell, they they turn into soul jellyfish who go up to heaven. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's Tales from the Hood 3. Yeah. So this movie is, now that I think of it, it's like Tales from the Hood 1 is Men in Black, Two is Men in Black Two, and three is Men in Black Three. I'll, I'll buy that comparison. Yeah, surprisingly much better than it should be, um, but not necessarily a movie I see myself going back to again and again. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think like, yeah, I don't know if I'd ever go back to it because it's not the type of thing like I'll just pop on ever, right. and I'm never going to own it. So. But you own it. Well, that's where you and I differ, because I do own it. It's going to sit on our shelf right alongside Tales from the Hood 2 and Tales from the Hood. 
Yeah. And I look forward to when we do our eventual podcast on Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> I saw the poster today. Yeah, I saw that too. Somebody, I think it was Stephanie Crawford, did like a parody poster. Did you see that? No. Did she like, you know how there's there's like 20 names on there? Yeah, there's a lot of names. There's too many names. Somebody put like share and they just started adding. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. Uh, they were using a lot of the negative space in, post, in the poster just to add more people's names. If I don't um, own if I don't own Tales from the Hood 3, there's a danger that Peacock could crash my Roku. We live in fear of Peacock crashing I can't, my Roku. If I stream it, Peacock could crash my Roku. And it will be on Peacock because it's a universal title. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than when Peacock exacts its revenge. Right? And says, and welcome to hell, head. motherfucker, and then crashes my Roku. That would be kind of cool if they were that dramatic about it. It's like when Xbox had the red rings of death, and it's like, okay, you don't have to rub it in. <laughs> what, what did the red rings of death mean? It meant that like your Xbox 360 crashed and you had to send it in to get it replaced. Oh my fixed. gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, so it was like a circle of death, but it would like literally flash a certain color. I think it was red. It would flash a certain color. So I don't know. Um, really, at the end of the day, I just want to see a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> um. Can you do favorite least favorite segment now? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll go with um, with butt water as my least favorite. Um, opera is my third, and I'll go with uh, Ruby Gates as second, and racist guy is number one. I think I'll go racist guy one, Ruby Gates two, butt water three, operatic four. Okay. Even though operatic is not bad, it's just it it lacked any kind of punch for me. That Buttwater at least was kind of. I thought some of the horror stuff worked in Buttwater. You know the 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 shitting and stuff. I was less interested in, but some of the horror stuff with the demons trying to get him, I thought was interesting. Yeah. Now I think I've ruined the song "Bathwater" by no doubt for myself. And uh, I've ruined the song Backwater by the Meat Puppets. Yeah. Or was that the Meat Puppets that ruined it? When I heard the song Backwater by Meat Puppets, I thought for sure that it was like a jingle for like a beer commercial. (laughs) It does kind of sound like that. Like a like an early '90s like grunge yeah. alternative like Miller Lite song. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is what it sounds like. Yeah. Let's get into let's get into advertising just so we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah. We'll start our own agency called <laughs> Butt Water and Meat Puppets, <laughs> where Peacock crushes your Roku. Uh, anything else on Tales from the Hood Three? Uh, no, I mean, two years from now, we'll have Tales from the Hood 4, and then we'll just keep watching these until, uh, you know, we eventually have our Roku's crashed by <laughs> I welcome a Tales from the Hood 4. Based I do on, too. Based on Tales from the Hood 3, I will welcome a part 4. Do you want them to bring back Sims, and not Lil Sims, but Sim Sims? No, I think you don't need Sims. I appreciated that they went with a different kind of wraparound. Like, obviously, somebody's going to say, welcome to hell, motherfucker, at the end. 
I don't want it to be the same thing where it's like a guessing game of like, well, who's going to be the Sims in this one? Uh, I, I, I'm sure they can think of a different solution that isn't the surprise Sims and isn't Sim Sims. Uh, I don't know what that would be, but if they could bring back, if they could bring back Sims in a way that made sense, like put them back in the funeral parlor, I'd be down with that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Scary movie month is off and running. Do you have anything, uh, that you're looking forward to watching, you know, in the next few days? Uh, we're doing, Erica and I are going to try to do our 24 hour marathon. And there's some titles in that lineup that I'm excited to check out, uh, including a rewatch of Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which I haven't seen since the Music Box Massacre many years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, I forget what else is in the lineup. Two on a guillotine, which I've never seen. Is that a Jallo? I don't think so. It sounds like one, but I think it's just yeah. like a 60s black and white uh, horror movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Archive put that out, and uh, the boy, the boy is in our lineup. Nice, but not. I haven't seen the boy too. I haven't either. I'm not gonna. Too. I'm not gonna see. I mean, if it shows up on Peacock or something, I'll watch it. <laughs> uh, watch out, man! That thing's gonna crash your Roku. <laughs> Brahms crashed my Roku. Brahms crashed. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. I don't know. I'm not in a big rush to see it. I did not hear good things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Thanks, Adam, for being the Tales from the Hood guy and continuing to podcast on this series. Uh, remember, every time you watch a scary movie during Scary Movie Month, go to fthismovie.com and leave a seven word review. Follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com and like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, rate and review the show if you are a fan if you're not a fan that's okay go on about your day you don't have to leave a mean review um but we appreciate all positive word of mouth uh thanks again adam elf took butt water to melmatch Listening to FS Movie.